We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome to another episode of the Music City Audible Podcast. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me as always is Justin Mello. We are brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports, and we are back for another episode today to talk about free agency, but not guys on the market. Justin, how's it going today? Doing well. I love that you cut yourself off to introduce me. Uh, we, we got a couple fun players to talk about here. If you know, long-term listeners may remember that we typically do this this time of year where we pick a couple players per episode and talk about whether or not the Titans should resign them and what their market value looks like and, and, and what they should do with that player with that player and at that position. So excited to be kicking off this series today. That is right. We did it last year. We're doing it again this year. We'll f- pick a few players each over the next few episodes and discuss the Titans' chances of bringing them back before free agency opens. And we're starting today with three important guys. But before we get to them, let's give a little overview here of what the Titans have, what to expect from this Titans offseason in terms of players that could be lost to the market. The Titans have 28 total free agents. That's including restricted free agents and exclusive rights free agents. So this is like Anthony Ferkser last year signed his restricted free agent tender, which was one year, three million, came back to Titans on a one-year deal. But there's no negotiating that goes on. The values are set. It's kind of like the way draft pick uh, salaries work. So the Titans have 28 total free agents, 20 unrestricted free agents. And of those total 28 and of the 20 unrestricted, 15 of those unrestricted guys Played pretty big roles for the team. Some of them were starters. If they weren't starters, they played valuable roles on special teams or backup roles. Like I wouldn't call Anthony Ferkser a starter, but he's obviously a noteworthy player that is grouped into that. And 18 of the total, some of those guys restricted and exclusive rights for agents. So we're going to get into all those guys. But here's how the next few episodes will work. This week, we're talking about Harold Landry, Jayon Brown, and David Questenberry all unrestricted free agents to be. Next week, we're going to hit Ben Jones, Rashawn Evans, and Anthony Ferkser, also unrestricted free agents. And then we will cover the remaining guys and talk more in-depth about some more noteworthy ones. But 22 guys will wrap up the final episode of this series in a few weeks. So let's get into it right now, talking about Harold Landry. Everyone wants to know, will the Titans re-sign him? Will they use the franchise tag? This is the big fish of the Titans' pool this year initial thoughts justin is harold landry going to be a titan next year yeah before i answer your question it's interesting i think it's undeniable that he's the big fish right because i i feel yeah you know you talked about how many unrestricted free agents they have and how many of those guys are contributors but if you go back two years ago right i think they were facing the ryan Tannehill and Derrick henry decisions which were sizable decisions you go back to last year they had Corey davis and john new smith uh, those were some really big decisions. So it feels like this year is a little less, um, you know, dramatic as the word I would use. But Harold Landry is undeniably the big fish. And you put me on the spot right from the get-go. It's a tough question to answer, man. But uh, I-, I ultimately think he will be a Titan. I don't know if I'm just saying that with my heart or with my mind, because I, I think we probably all want him back. But there are some things that lead me to believe that they have a really tough time moving on from him. 
Yeah, I agree. So just some basic info about Landry. Played 89% of the snaps last year, which is less than he played in 2020, but still a pretty high number overall. Titans moved him around a lot more this year. He did not rush purely off the edge. He was used inside as an off-ball linebacker. He drops into coverage a fair amount. And in this role that he played this year, with the additions of Danico Autry and Bud Dupree and with Jeffrey Simmons emerging, Landry was able to have a career year, racked up 12 sacks, 14 tackles for loss, 22 quarterback hits, and had one forced fumble. And those are all career-high numbers in a contract year. We've seen this happen for players many times in the past. So Albert Hainsworth is the king of turning a (laughs) a contract year into a nice payday. Absolutely, and we saw Corey Davis do it for the Titans as well before he went and signed with the New York Jets, Johnny Smith before he signed with the Patriots. So guys on the Titans specifically have had these career years in their contract years. So Harold Landry, uh, the next in line. Spotrack has his market value projected at $17.1 million per year. That would be a four-year, $68 million contract. The franchise tag, if the Titans elected to use it, would be approximately $18 million for the 2022 season. That's a one-year cap hit, huge deal on the books. Tough to swallow, honestly, overall, a number that high for just one season. And then there's the transition tag, which allows Harold Landry to go out and search for other offers that would be higher than the the $14 million one-year deal that the transition tag would offer him. And if he signed with any other team that was able to match or exceed, I guess, exceed that offer that the Titans, if he chose to take a competing offer. Well, it means he could, yeah, he could seek out another offer. The Titans would have first right of refusal to match that offer, but it's a dangerous game to play that one because you like the idea of getting them at $14 million a year potential or, or for the one year potentially. Um, but if you, you know, if someone else comes in, gives them 16, 17, 18 a year and you don't match it, then you lose them for nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas he was doing if he hits free agency anyway, I guess, but at the same time, it is a dangerous tag to play with. Right. And if you use the transition tag, you can't use the franchise tag, although there's not really any other candidate in this class for the Titans that they would use the, the a tag right. on. So you might be okay getting away with that this time around. But overall, I think the discussion is difficult with Landry because if you ask anyone in an ideal world, should the Titans bring back Harold Landry, money is no no has no factor, then of course I think everyone wants Harold Landry back. The Titans had a, a great front four last year. They had an incredibly dominant defensive line like we haven't seen since 2008. Multiple games with lots of sacks, nine sacks in the playoff game. Harold Landry had one and a half himself in that game. So obviously everyone wants him back. I, I did a poll on Twitter earlier today, nine hours ago, 1,400 votes, 94.9% of people said bring him back, assuming the contract isn't prohibitively high. Only 5% of voters said not nah, let him walk. And that could be fans of the Colts who want to try to sign Harold Landry. So to well, be honest, prohibitively high, yeah. right? I think that's the that's million the question. dollar question. Yeah. Is $17.1 projected by Spotrack for your $68 million deal prohibitively high? So hard, man. <laughs> It, it, it is pretty high, right? I, I'm really curious to know, or I wish we knew, what John Robinson is really thinking with, with this guy because I, I look at it two ways, and this is me trying to play devil's advocate, right? Um, you want to have him back, obviously. First of all, anytime John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, and I've made note of this throughout this offseason, the few times they've spoken with the media, 
And people have asked them about, you know, 2022 and the culture and, and running it back and yada, yada. They consistently refer to Harold Landry. He's one of our leaders, right? He's one of our guys that are going to you know get us through this and, and, and yada, yada. So they obviously really love Harold Landry. Right? I, mean, I don't think there's any questioning that. You look at the production, right? It's it's typically hard to find guys that had as many sacks as, as he had this season. Um, you look at the role that he plays for them. You kind of touched on that, right? It's He drops into coverage. He's been healthy. That's another thing we probably underrate as fans, but availability, right? It's your best ability, reliability. He's been out there all the time, right? Consistently playing 95% of snaps or even higher than that. So and they've constantly talked about, oh, we got to get them some rest, right? We, they go into every offseason and say, oh, we know we got to ro- rotate, and they never do, right? It's Harold Landry's out there playing yeah. 95% of snaps on a yeah. weekly basis, right? That's a really important uh, factor. You you value a guy that's available on Sundays and can, can play for you, especially a team this year, right, that dealt with so many injuries. He was a, a really a, a shining example of health. So, uh, the, you know, there are so many things that lead, lead you towards yes. Another one is obviously – this front four was so good. Like you said, the best you've had since 2008. Uh, are you anxious to break it up? Right. And are you anxious to replace one of those guys? You probably aren't right. Based on the success that they had. Another thing I would mention, and I don't know how much you factor this. Cause I don't think John Robinson's the type of guy to get gun shy, but let's be honest. He hasn't had a great time evaluating outside linebackers and pass rushers, right? Like uh, he, you know, this is going maybe a little too far back, but he drafted Kevin Dodd in the second round in this first draft, right? One of the worst picks you've seen the Titans make in, in quite some time. Certainly one of the worst picks of the John Robinson era. And then when he wanted the, the pass rush to take a step forward, he signed Vic Beasley and Jadavion Clowney, right? Both to one-year deals that ate up sizable amounts of cap space um, in that season. And both of them backfired horribly. And I, I've said this time and time again on this show, Clowney, I don't really flack him, uh, you know, fault him for because I think we all wanted Clowney and that signing made a lot of sense. It just... It didn't work out. Sometimes that happens. Beasley, I feel differently because that was a signing I don't think a lot of us loves. It was like, oh, really? Like, the guy's got a pretty known attitude problem, and you're going to bring him in here. And and that backfired due to the, the known attitude problem, right, that we were kind of aware that he had. So right. the point is he's had some struggles, right, evaluating uh, edge players. How has how you know excited are you to dip your toe back into that market? If you let Harold – you have finally got two guys, right? You spent your whole tenor – trying to pair two guys together. You finally have that now with Harold Landry and Bud Dupree. Are you excited to, to try to revamp that? I, I would think you aren't, right? On the flip side of it, I'll make the other argument now. You've committed a lot of money to Bud Dupree, right? And it is what it is. I don't think year one really went to plan for Bud Dupree, but at the same time, the stat sheet doesn't always tell the story. When you look at the advanced stats, they were a lot better with him on the field than without him. They averaged a lot more sacks, a lot more quarterback hits, a lot more pressures with Bud Dupree on the field as opposed to when he wasn't. So he did Which make was the impact. same the same impact he had in Pittsburgh the year before. Yes. With uh, even though TJ Watt is a beast, like it was the same thing as in terms of team pressure and team sacks. And he helped those other guys, the interior guys they have there, Hayward and a rookie and Alex Highsmith the year before in Pittsburgh. So you're absolutely right. But, uh, you know, you, you paid huge money to Bud Dupree and you're, you're locked into that contract for a little bit. How much of your uh, cap do you want to allocate to the edge position? Now, I think it's one of the most important positions on the field. I think it's the most important position on the defense. That's my opinion. And I'll argue that. And I'll, I'll back that up by saying, uh, which defensive players go first in the draft? You, you don't see a corner or safety or linebacker 
go number one in the draft. If it's a defensive player, it's an edge rusher, right? And that kind of sums up how NFL teams view edge players. They're the most important defensive players on the field, guys that can get after the quarterback, right? So, but but it's a question, right? How much of that state, your money, do you want to allocate to the edge position? Because you got a ton of it tied up in Bud Dupree. If you sign Harold Landry to a big contract, what are you paying both of them next year? Close to $40 million combined, right? Yeah, and I know you could lower, the cap hits will, you know, are lower than that, obviously, but the fact is it's a lot of money at the edge position, right? And secondly, I think another question John Robinson might ask, and I'm not saying that this is the case. Again, I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, but can I get another edge player to come in here for cheaper and can replicate some of that production? Because how much of Harold Landry's career high, career best production was a product of what you said? Jeffrey Simmons emerging and, and creating pressure up the middle. Bud Dupree obviously coming in and creating a ton of pressure. They didn't have the year before opposite Landry, right? When they were rolling out Wyatt Ray and, and, and I don't even, the guy with the long blonde hair, I don't even remember his name anymore. Brooks <laughs> Reed. Brooks Reed, that's who it was. Um, like how much of this production, Landry, was a product of Dina Coatry, Jeffrey Simmons, and Bud Dupree? And if you think that a, a, a sizable amount of that production was as a result of what those three guys did, then you can make an argument maybe, right, for signing a cheaper edge defender that's going to come in and get you eight, nine, ten sacks, right? Because I, I, uh, No Flags Film on Twitter, right, James Foster, who's with Broadway Sports with us over there, he, he's kind of on the train of Harold Landry's a cleanup guy, right? He's a guy that cleans up plays and gets sacks laid into plays, right? So if you think that's what his value is, then you're saying – Again, it's a part of Simmons, Autry, and uh, and Dupree, and I can get a guy for less than $17, $18 million a year to come here and clean up sacks, right, based on what those three guys are doing. So uh, there's it's a fun debate, truthfully. It's a fun argument. It's a fun double-edged sword. And, I, you know, truthfully, I, I can see it going either way, even though I, I do lean towards they bring them back. Yeah, I agree. So if, when you're talking like the big question, you said cap space, first of all, it's important to understand the Titans currently have $10 million in cap space. But if you head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and go back a little ways, um, Zach Lyons, February 15th, so a week ago, Zach Lyons had a great article titled How the Tennessee Titans Can Achieve $84.5 million in Cap Space. And that's the extreme side if they cut a lot of cut-eligible players, such as um, like Roger Saffold and Jack Rabbit Jenkins and other guys that could be back as starters, but wouldn't cost would actually save you quite a bit of money if you let them go. You'd have to then replace them and find new starters, but presumably cheaper ones, and that's how you end up creating cap space. So the Titans could create cap space. There's a lot of easy ways to create cap space. Restructure Zach Cunningham, restructure Kevin Byer to these are these kinds of restructures we talked about last offseason where they just trigger automatically if the front office decides to do it. Like you could save $7 million on Kevin Byard, $5 million on Derrick Henry easily, like instantly, and then you have $22 million in cap space. So the cap is very fungible. Yeah, of course. No, I'm just – I mean, I, Zach's article is terrific, and you should absolutely read it. It's super in-depth, and I, I mean I learned a lot reading it, but – uh, on the topic of restructures, didn't we talk a lot about that last year? Oh, they're going to do this. They're going to eventually. They did. They did them all eventually. It just did took... they do them all. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's but how they, they ended but, up. But when? Like they didn't do it in order to go into free agency with more money. No, no, they didn't. Like they did. They hit Tannehill almost at the end of free agency, but that was right. 
to fit a Julio contract under the, but they, it was John Robinson's going to do this. And like, that's the thing to remember is don't get impatient and wonder why it hasn't happened yet. And we were victims of this last year and I was tweeting sure. about it all summer. Why hasn't Ryan Tannehill's been restructured yet? All he has to do is hit, flip a switch and create a ton of cap space, but it happened eventually. So just keep, Everyone just be patient. John Robinson knows it's what he's doing. It's interesting that they didn't do it in advance of free agency, right? To spend the money. So I don't know that we can get, I mean, look, they maybe they knew they had the Julio Jones trade on the table. They saved that in their back pocket. It eventually worked out, but it is curious that they didn't do it before the, they entered free agency. So you won, you can't just assume they're going to do it this year, right? That's right. So we'll see how they do that, but it's there if they need it, I guess, is the point. And there was that report last week that came out. We discussed briefly about Landry wanting to be the highest paid position player in his group. And if you look at the contract Bud Dupree just signed, five years, 82 million, 33 million guaranteed, 35 total guaranteed, and a 16.5 average annual value. What does highest paid in your room mean? Does it mean the total value of the contract, five year, 82 million? Give him six year, 83 million, you know, like what is it more guaranteed money? 35 million guaranteed. Give him 40 million guaranteed. Is it average annual salary? If you're get, talking about the 17 million projected value that Spotrack has with Bud Dupree at 16.5, I think 17 million is honestly a fair contract. TJ Watt just signed a contract for 28 million a year. We know that Harold Landry is not the same level of difference maker as TJ Watt, but he's important. Was it 28 million for TJ Watt? Yeah, isn't that insane? Oh, my God. <laughs> we know Harold Landry isn't the same kind of impact player on defense as TJ Watt, and that's okay. He doesn't have to get $28 million a year. He doesn't have to get $27 million a year like Joey Bosa did. He just needs, in his mind, to be the highest-paid guy in his room. $17 million a year, honestly, when you look at $28 million for TJ Watt and how those contracts are just inflating every year for the elite guys, it seems fair to me for what he does to this for this defense specifically. I don't know if he's worth $17 million to, like, a defense that he would be lining up purely as an edge every down. You know, that's not his greatest strength as a pass rusher. He's stout in run defense, stouter than people thought he would be coming out of Boston College, to be honest. Um, and his speed dip move works pretty dang well against, like, backup tackles when the starter is out and Landry gets a one-on-one -on -one against a less talented player. But... The ability to move all over the defense, his leadership, like you mentioned, Mike Vrabel loves him. And it's not just like leadership, like telling guys what to do. And it's like the emotional energy that he brings. Like think about when he gets a sack and he is so hyped, like that is the kind of leadership that helps spark a defense. So he leads by example too, right? Yeah. Leads by example. You mentioned availability. I think that is also huge. And to this staff, I think will be huge. So I think what we'll end up seeing is, Either he signs a deal worth $17 million a year that has a first-year cap hit of like 13 or $14 million, and whether or not it's five years, $83 million to match Bud Dupree or five eighty-five, or whatever, I, we'll see where the, where the total value comes in. I think he gets a little bit more guaranteed than Dupree and a little bit more per year, and I think the first hit, first year and second-year cap hits will be low, and then as the, his cap hit blooms, the salary cap is inflating with new TV money and all that. And the other thing about the Bud Dupree-Harold Landry combo is you're only paying the two of them together uh, tied to for one year. Bud Dupree's deal was a five-year deal, but the out is two years. So you cut him after, the, according to Spotrek, potential out 2023, $9.6 in dead cap. 
that's not a that's not a ton of money. I mean, that's not like a little amount of dead cap, but it's a twenty million dollar cap hit. So you save almost ten over ten million if you cut Bud Dupree after next year. Um, so it's not impossible to think that that could happen after twenty twenty two season or twenty twenty three after twenty twenty two. Oh wow, that's pretty quick. It's two, yeah, yeah, two a year. Wow. So if Landry's cap hit is like fourteen million next year, then the two of them combined is thirty. Or no, thirty three. Sorry. 33 that's not 40 that's not better terrible. than 40 yeah, like yeah. so I, I i'm team bring landry back right i i can't imagine and on top of it not only um you do help keep that pair together and keep that defensive line together but you also don't have to spend resources in free agency or in the draft on a high-end uh you know edge rusher because i really think you want to spend the majority of your offseason trying to fix this offense truthfully yep and add depth and add just more playmakers at every level of the offense i totally agree so i think that that's the final verdict here is re-sign landry if you want to see the other side you mentioned james foster's article he has an article called why signing harold landry is a huge risk on broadwaysportsmedia.com go check that out but in my opinion i think it's something they should do it's not a must it's not to overpay him if he's going to go sign for 25 million a year somewhere the titans are out i think so yeah, I mean, even I don't, even if he's getting twenty or twenty-one, I think there's yeah. a chance they could be out. Right. I don't think he's getting that much from Tennessee. So that's where we'll see how these things will will be interesting to shake out. But I so it's not like uh he's the most important player on the defense and they gotta do whatever it takes, but it's sign him to this kind of a fair deal that I think makes him highest paid in the room and would satisfy both sides. And reward your homegrown talent. The Titans spent yep. obviously a second round pick on him. He's been He's grown into a, a great player for the defense. He wasn't always more than just like an exciting flash, and now he really is a great leader. And John Robinson loves rewarding homegrown talent, right? Dory Jackson and Corey Davis and Jack Conklin and Jonu Smith, and, you know, he loves re-signing these guys. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of homegrown talents he re-signed. Taylor Lewan, Kevin, Byer, Kevin Derek Byer, Derek Henry. Derek Henry. Jeffrey um, Simmons and AJ Brown will soon be joining we'll be, that list we'll as next. well. Yeah. So I think that's the verdict. And if if he doesn't sign that deal before the franchise tag deadline, I think the Titans do tag him. But with a Derrick Henry plan in mind, the same same kind of thing they did there, where buy them time to work on the extension until the franchise tag deadline hits. Yep. So that'll happen, I think, and we'll be right, and people will look back and be like, "That's why we listen to Music City Audible." Let's move on to our next player here, looking at Jayon Brown. Jayon Brown for the Titans this season played only 38% of snaps. Obviously, he missed some time with an injury. He ended up playing in 10 games, started six of those games. He was on a one-year $5.3 million deal that he signed with Tennessee late last offseason after testing the market and not finding it really to his liking uh, at the end of his rookie contract. So... Spotrack doesn't have a projected market value for him, but I can't imagine it would be more than the $5.3 million deal he signed last offseason after only playing in 38% of snaps, losing his playing time to David Long, being inactive for the Titans' Week 17 game, Week 18 game. Week 18 against Houston. Against, yeah. against the Texans, um, despite being healthy, and then uh, playing sparingly in the playoff game. I think uh, he's probably gone. Yeah, I think Jayon's probably gone. You talked about the um, you talked about the market value. I, I would assume it's lowered to somewhere between two point seven five, maybe three point five million max. I assume it comes in under four million based on his twenty twenty one performance. Um, it, it's an unfortunate case with Jayon Brown. It, it kind of shows you how life can change quickly in the NFL. Because I remember 
those first three seasons, uh, you know, he was terrific, right? A terrific fifth round pick out of UCLA was so good. Heck, going into that fourth season of his, which was in 2020, I think we were talking about, oh, they're definitely going to lose Jayon Brown because he's going to be so expensive to re-sign, right? right? That's where our thought process was on Jayon Brown. And then he started 2020, you know, kind of inconsistently. I remember those first few games, he didn't play very well. That defense was so bad. Started to play a little bit better towards the middle of the season, and then he suffered that horrific injury against the Ravens, right? Like a fractured elbow or something like it was, it was Dislocated. horrible. It looked ugly live. You knew his season was over. I, I remember it well, right? It was like an illegal chop block by a Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman. Yep. It just didn't look good, right? You knew it was serious. Test free agency comes back, like you said, late in the game on the one year, $5 million deal. Loses more playing time. David Long, Zach Cunningham uh, emerge, uh, comes in mid-season. And then on top of it, like, he was also losing snaps as their coverage guy, right? Like you, you saw Dane Crookshank kind of play that role down the stretch, right? Kind of that dime linebacker hybrid safety in sub package looks where Crookshank was covering Travis Kelsey, right? When we played the chiefs, Dane Crookshank was covering uh, George Kittle. When we played the 49ers in primetime, did a great job on both of those guys that used to kind of be Jayon's role, right? So they kind of faced him out a little there and, uh, I, I don't see him coming back. I mean, look, you're talking if you're talking two and a half million dollars a year, bring him back. You know, I think you're going to need help uh, in coverage next year, right? That's something I talk about. I, I think we, uh, as much as I love the duo of David Long and Zach Cunningham going forward, I'm not crazy about either of those players in coverage. And I, like Jayon didn't have his best year in coverage in 2021 when he did play there, so maybe I'm giving him too much credit. But I do think you're going to need some help in coverage next year. You get Jayon back at two and a half. I mean, maybe you know why not? But I, I don't think either party, to be honest, will be interested in a reunion. I think he's probably looking for a fresh start elsewhere, based on how the last two years have gone. And I don't think the Titans are going to be overly eager to have him back either. The Titans don't need him back is the the real truth yeah. of it. He doesn't really play special teams. He's uh, and, and Monty Rice, right? Like, let's not forget about you drafted Monty Rice in the third round um, to kind of start being your you know your third linebacker, right? He's probably going to come in and back up David Long and Zach Cunningham. And let's be honest, linebackers get hurt, right? Monty Rice is going to start four or five games next season, right? <laughs> it's, it's just going to just I'm not. It's not even making a Titans injury joke. Like it's probably going to happen, right? The chances of David Long and Zach Cunningham both starting 17 games and playing 95% of snaps isn't all that high. When you look at the percentages, David Long missed a bunch of games this year, right? With a, I think it was a concussion issue that he had or a hamstring no, too. Not, was hamstring. it? What was it? No, was it knee? He had, or? A, he had a hamstring for a long time. It happened. I remember when it happened. It was in the Rams. I remember the Rams game. He he didn't go on IR, and we were like, oh, yes. he won't miss three games. Then he missed five games. It's like I think six. He missed something yeah. ridiculous. So guys get hurt, right? It happens. But the point is, you drafted Monty Rice to be your third linebacker. I think you're well protected there now. Um, and Monty Rice looked okay when he played. I, I thought he didn't look bad at all for a rookie that was kind of thrown into the fire by the time he was playing. Uh, when all those guys got hurt, Rashawn Evans was hurt at the same time. Uh, David Long was hurt, I believe. So, uh, I no, I don't think J.R. Brown is back in 2022. Yep, I agree. He played 11 special team snaps and only 39% of the de- 38% of the defensive snaps. He's only started six games. He's gone. Titans will be moving on, and so will we to the next player on our list. Guard slash tackle, David Questenberry, still listed as a guard on the Titans' official roster, played, obviously, right tackle all of last season. Uh, in twenty Before the 2020 season, he signed a two-year, $1.5 million deal with the Titans. That is now up. He started all 17 games at right tackle last year. And fun facts about David Questenberry. 
He led every single Tennessee Titan in percent of snaps played and total snaps played. He played 99.92% of the Titans' offensive snaps. He only missed one, and uh, he actually played 15 more snaps than Ryan Tannehill did. So he doesn't have a projected market value on Spotrack. I don't know if the Titans need him back. I don't think they want him back as the starting right tackle, but is this guy going to go get a big contract somewhere? I think he will probably be back as either your swing tackle, competing for the starting job in training camp, Team Questenberry, bring him back. It's an interesting conversation. I think it's a little bit more, I, I think it's more layered than most fans think. I think you did a good job there. I'm not directing that at you. Um, but this, and by the way, that one snap missed, I feel like I almost remember. I think he got like poked in the eye and he came oh, up yeah. for one play and then he came right back <laughs> in. Like, tip of the cap, right? For a guy that played 99 point, whatever you said, 99.2% of snaps, like, nine to <laughs> stay healthy right and he's a veteran guy and like good for him that's incredible right like that especially on an offensive line a position where they're banging hats every single play and guys get rolled up on like i promise you david kissenberry probably dealt with something throughout the year right i, I highly doubt he woke up every morning all chipper and didn't have any pain whatsoever like pro- probably dealing with something when you're playing that many snaps on the offensive line so tip of the cap to him to be able to you know play through that and, and play that many snaps but Beat cancer, uh, beat cancer. Yeah, of course. Yeah, several years ago, was with Mike Vrabel in Houston. Obviously, they look. There's a relationship there. I think he's coming back. This is why (laughs) I say this conversation. I think is a little bit more layered than people think it is. I think they love him. I think Mike Vrabel and John Robinson love the guy. Right? He's another guy that they bring up. When they talk about leadership, they talk about overcoming adversity, what he overcame, obviously beating cancer. Uh, You know, I'm familiar with his story. It's an unbelievable story. You can't not like the guy, right? And by all accounts, he's a great teammate, a great locker room guy and a leader. And again, a guy that Mike Vrabel brought with him, right? From Houston to Tennessee. So they obviously love him and he's not going to be expensive to keep. Okay. He's probably going to get a bit of a raise, you know, two years, 1.5 million, two years ago when he was a swing backup and, he had not really started any games uh, at that point. Like he's probably going to get a bit of a bump in pay. Maybe that two year 1.5 is now going to be two years, 2.5, two years, 3 million, right? Maybe he earns $1.5 million a year. I, I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, but I do think he's probably going to make more than $750,000 a year. Yeah. Um, like he previously signed, but again, that's not going to break the bank and you can afford to bring them back. And I do think there is value in, in having him as a swing guy, right? Look, he started all 16 games at right tackle. 17. Uh, so, sorry, 17 regular season games, of course, in the season. 18 games with the playoff game, obviously. Yeah, right. And before that, he stepped in uh, at left tackle in 2020, right? When Taylor Lewan tore his ACL. He was a third yep. guy up that year because Ty Sembrello was first up. But we and both then, said that season, we thought Questenberry was playing better than Sembrello did. He was. He did play better than Sembrello, absolutely. So, and then he wins a training camp battle to start at right tackle. And I don't, I, that was pretty unforeseen, in my opinion. And I think he caught a couple lucky breaks. I'm not going to lie to you. I, th- I, th- I always, and I'm going off a hunch here, but I felt like when they signed Kendall Lamb, I, I feel like they thought he was going to be the starting right tackle, but he was hurt almost all throughout August, right? So he's coming to a new team. He didn't get the reps. Dylan Raiden's second round pick kind of had a red shirt year, right? Let's be honest. It's didn't really play a lot. Started that one game against San Francisco out of complete necessity yeah. towards the end of the season, right? Kendall Lamb test positive the morning of the game. Taylor Lewan was hurt. They didn't have much of a choice. It was either Dylan Raiden's or call up uh, Christian Delaro from the practice squad, who was active for that game, but they obviously started Raiden's instead, which was the right decision. Uh, but the point here is, you know, Q overcame a lot. 
earn the starting job, he's a guy that you could bring back for sure, right? On the flip side of that, you said it already. Do you want him to be your starting right tackle in 2022? No, I don't think you should. He wasn't all that effective. He didn't get you killed, I don't think, personally. I don't think he was Will Svidic bad. You remember Will Svidic? Like, of course. I, I don't think he was Jamon Meredith bad. I don't oh think he gosh. was Bobby Hart, even Bobby Hart bad this year and Bobby Hart playing, right? I don't think he was that bad, but I don't think he was a quality starter either, right? I think you can do better. And let's be honest, you drafted Dylan Radens for this spot, right? Like, I think Dylan Radens has to be your starter next year at right tackle. And I think that was probably always the plan going in. And I'll stand by that until they make me look stupid if it's not. But I think Dylan Radens starts at right tackle in 2022. I really do. So at that point, how does how does Q feel about potentially losing his starting job? Maybe he feels he gets a better opportunity to compete for that elsewhere. Right, it's kind I of think, a demotion. Uh, I think if they if they uh, approach him with a contract ex- like offer, it would be to say we want you to come in and compete again for the right tackle. They wouldn't. Yes. I mean, You're even if that's not, not their too. like. Even if secretly they don't want him to win the job, they would tell him, we want you to come compete for the starting job again. Yeah, you're going to get a chance to compete, right? And I could see this going either way. I could see them being ready to move on because he didn't play all that well in 2021. And I could also see them saying, you know what? He's cheap. He's effective. He knows the system. We love the guy. He's going to be affordable. He can play both left and right. We've seen him do it. He's good depth, right? So I I can see this going either way. Yeah, I think my my gut tells me he will likely be back at some point before free agency even opens. My my other question, and we're probably spending a lot of time on David Kissenberry here, but do you need Taylor Lewan, Dylan Radens, David Kissenberry, and Kendall Lamb in 2022? I, I mean, you had it in 2021, so maybe you felt like you knew, but... As we close out this episode, quick side tangent for you. Roger Saffold, Kendall Lamb, cut them both, $16 million saved. Dylan Radins is not your tackle. He does not play tackle. What? Roger Saffold was a left tackle in college, came into the NFL, tried left tackle for a couple years, moved to left guard, became one of the league's most dominant left guards. The, the Titans know it well. Saffold has been mentoring uh, Radins basically since they drafted him. Raidens, left tackle in college, not a right tackle. Struggled at right tackle immensely, with, especially with the footwork in the preseason when playing right tackle. Move this guy to left guard, the same path that Roger Saffold took. Cut Roger Saffold. Not only does he take the same path, he takes his job. You're starting left guard next year. Dylan Raidens, $16 million in cap savings. Questenberry is back to compete for the right tackle job. Book it. Look, here's what I think. That's a crazy theory of mine, but it could happen. Um, <laughs> I couldn't disagree more. I just uh, want that on the record. I could not disagree more. I think, yes, fine. I don't want to go into it too much. It's a crazy theory. Just remember I said it. Uh, Questenberry, I think you don't necessarily want him back as your starting right tackle, but if he is, you can live with it. And in a year where they're tight against the cap already, I think, I mean, what's the answer? It's either Raiden's Questenberry or a free agent, a dr- another draft pick, and then you're starting a rookie at right tackle, which his team has clearly shown they don't like to do because they drafted two tackles in the last two years and didn't start either one of them a single game. So I don't know. I think Questenberry does have value in the same, for the same reason Landry does, the health aspect veteran leadership aspect relationship with the head coach aspect so i think that for that reason they bring questenberry back and 
Why not? Why isn't he the starter? I, I'll, well, I'll close out by saying this. Um, I think either you're bringing uh, – Dylan Radins is obviously a part of this equation, right? You're, Dylan Radins is going to be on the team in 2022. We all know that. It's either Dylan Radins and David Kissenberry competing for the starting job at right tackle, or it's Dylan Radins and Kendall Lamb competing for the starting job at right tackle. I don't think there's another – equation here i don't think you need all three back and that again that really comes down to either you're letting kissenberry walk or you're signing them for cheaper and you're cutting kendall lamb if you resign q and you cut lamb you will save a little bit of money right so they yes. might go that route not a lot we're probably talking about one and a half to two million dollars tops right but uh that's your options either it's it's lamb and radins or it's kissenberry and radins and you save like one and a half two million right by replacing lamb with q but um, I, I think Dylan Radins, I'll, I'll say that this, I don't know how we got into this different episode almost altogether, but I think Dylan Radins starts at right tackle in 2022. I will say that I don't really have a prediction on Q. Cause like I said, I see it going either way. I can see them bringing him back cause he's cheap and they love him. And I could also see them saying he gave up 11 sacks last year, according to pro football <laughs> focus, which was the most in the NFL, the tackle position we're done. Yeah, that is a lot. So we'll see what happens. Um, that's it. We did this episode. Three guys. Next week, we're looking at three more. Ben Jones, Rashawn Evans, and Anthony Ferkser. So come back for that episode. Remember, you can find Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Until next week, until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.